I told you that would get old. <laughs> oh my. Well, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to First Church. Oh my. I, I, I got to be three o'clock getting through this message. <laughs> oh no. We're so glad to worship with you today. <laughs> With you are new with us this morning. My name is Andrew, and my uh, lovely wife Simone is right here with me. And we are so grateful uh, to have you here. If you are new with us this morning, or as the case may be, uh, you have made First Church your home, but you don't have any clue who I am. <laughs> Let me take you on a brief journey over the last uh, nine months. Nine months ago today, <laughs> nine months ago today, I stood before you to preach a message called, In Blank, We Trust. <laughs> In Blank, We Trust. At least that was supposed to come out. <laughs> uh, they, uh, that, uh, what came out instead was a whole nothing, nothing, and uh, People wondering if they need to call the ambulance on me, <laughs> uh, Pastor Cindy in particular. <laughs> uh, in fact, I made the board so nervous that they sent Tom and Carla to kidnap me and uh, take me to the emergency room uh, that Wednesday uh, evening. Uh, there, um, I discovered uh, that uh, I had um, uh, brain cancer. And not just any brain cancer, but uh, uh, the top of the top, uh, or the, in, in this case, the low of the low, <laughs> um, the, the glioblastoma, stage four uh, glioblastoma, the worst you can get. The next four months uh, were a blur. Surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, the cool helmet uh, that they call the Optune device. <laughs> Things seem to be going uh, pretty well until about a month and a half ago when I had uh, 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 two seizures back to back, which indicated that uh, things weren't going as well as I thought. After an emergency MRI, uh, the good news was that the cancer had not returned. The bad news uh, was that a cyst the size, uh, twice the size of a tumor was present on the left hemisphere and causing the seizures. That was on the Tuesday. And, uh, following Monday, I had a second brain surgery uh, and, and followed by an intense period of rehab. That was three weeks ago. And... Uh, here I am. <laughs> uh, 
I said before, and I say it again. <laughs> Your prayers are what has sustained me through all the ups and the downs. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for the prayers and the intercession that has gone out from this church. Intercession for my health, intercession for my healing, intercession for my life. I don't think I would be here this morning. In fact, I know I wouldn't be here this morning if it were not for your prayers. So thank you, thank you, thank you for the indescribable gift that you've given to me to preach and to share the word with Amen. you today. Before I get too choked up, we have discernment to preach. <laughs> so the scripture is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. After you're turning there, the sermon series is called Kingdom Come. Say it with me. Kingdom, Kingdom come. come. And what we're going to be looking at is four aspects of the kingdom come on earth. Four aspects uh, that when they were appear, you can be sure that the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Presence, power, prayer, and peacemaking. Let's say it again. As you know, say it together, presence, presence power, prayer, and peacemaking. Before we go on, uh, let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. We thank you, God, that you are a good, good Father. That you watch over us, provide for us, and show up in our midst, Lord. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak to each one of us, Lord. Come and meet with us, O oh God. We invite you here right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, the name above all names, yes, we pray. Amen. So today we begin our series with the first title, Presence. And you know, uh, I believe that what Scripture teaches us is that every time we begin to talk about the presence of God, of God being in the midst of his people, some of us get a little bit nervous at that thought. We get a little bit uncomfortable with God showing up in our midst. The story, there's a famous story in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 6 where we see even this happening back in, the Bible, in Bible times. Isaiah is going about his day and his business when all of a sudden God shows up. And the train of his robe fills the whole place with his glory. And Isaiah is like, oh shoot, I'm toast here. And uh, this isn't going to turn out good for me. And many of us tend to have these similar reactions whenever we talk about God showing up in the midst of his people, of manifesting his presence in our midst. And so let us listen to some of these reactions that tend to happen. One of these three um, maybe have even happened to you. Uh, first, as we're taking notes, many of us believe that when it comes to God and us, God is disappointed in us. God is disappointed in us. We think of God as sitting up on his throne, spending his day kind of scanning through the creation, looking back and forth, checking in on everyone, 
And is when his eye falls on us, we just know that he's kind of disappointed in us. We let him down. We didn't try hard enough. We didn't good, uh, do good enough. We didn't give enough. We didn't uh, uh, read our Bibles enough. We didn't pray enough. And we kind of perceive that him staring at us, shaking his head and disappointed with us and us trying to escape his gaze. I never forget when uh, Lucas finally uh, understood the word no. Uh, you know, uh, we or make a mess or touch something. He shouldn't attack him, and we should. Uh, we st- told him no. What did he do? He would lie down, prostrate on the ground, covered his head in shame, uh, um, uh, um, hiding from our gaze of disappointment. It was pitiful, truly pitiful. Uh, 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 Sophia, on the ha- other hand, has not got into these age yet. <laughs> And we and we tell him no. He he, he kind of uh, he, she kind of uh, looks at us, us as if she understand, and then she just starts laughing at loud at us. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like very funny. I'll do whatever I want. Thank you very much. <laughs> and you know when we are talking about God being disappointed in us, and we don't want Him to show up or for fear of what He might say to us, we see the same thing happening to Elijah. Um, Kinley did a great job reading the scripture for today, but prior to God showing up on the mount through a gentle whisper, we see that Elijah is actually afraid. He's running away. Listen to these, uh, to the preceding verses, and they're going to be on the screen so you can follow along. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. You see, Elijah was afraid. He felt like he hadn't measured up. He says, I am no better than anyone. Please take my life, Lord. And many of us conditioned from our past might think the same. Hide and run away from God because, well, when it comes to God and me, God is just disappointed in me. I haven't measured up. Second, for some of us, God is not only disappointed in us, God is angry with us. Some of us are hiding from God, not just to escape what we believe to be his disapproving gaze, but from fear of what he might do to us when and if he catches us. And we hear this all the time, don't we? Uh, Yeah, I will go to church one day, but first let me get my life straightened out. As soon as I break this addiction, as soon as I fall I quit falling into the same sin. In, or, in other words, as soon as I look right, I will come out of hiding, and maybe God won't be so angry. For many, God is uh, in our midst means God is disappointed in us. God is angry with us. And third, for still others, we believe that God has forgotten us. God has forgotten us. Maybe for you, uh, when you needed him the most, he was nowhere to be found. For you, the words of a psalmist sum up in your opinion about where things stand between you and God. Psalm 22, the, the, uh, the uh, 
uh, the uh, uh, passage that Dr. Dalton read earlier, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Maybe for you, you grew up with a childlike faith that God loves us, that God is with us, that God cares for us. But one thing, uh, one day, something happened that shook your faith. Maybe for you, uh, you grew up in a loving, wonderful family until your parents started having problems with your marriage. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed for him. Things weren't worked out, but their marital problems continued and they got divorced anyway. For maybe for you, you have a good job, steady income, providing for your family. But one day, it would take it away without warning. For maybe for you, you expected God to heal your son, uh, heal your daughter, heal yourself. But it's just so quiet up there, just so silent. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If God is with us, if God is good, why do bad things happen to us? Why do bad things happen to me? And you wonder if God has forgotten you. Good, good news this morning is that we do not have a God who has forsaken us. <laughs> we do not have a God who, who has forgotten us, a God who is angry with us, God who is disappointed with us. No, rather, we have a God who in his very name mm. promises to be a God who is always with us. Amen. Emmanuel, God with us. And because he is a God with us, he is also a God for us. And we can trust in this God. You see, we see that in Elijah's story, it shows us exactly that God is for his people. That God, even at our lowest points, when we are about to give up, ready to quit, God shows up. God intervenes because he is a good father and he is for us. You know, there's a, there's a scriptures here as we continue to read in the story that shows us that, you know, God wasn't a God just aloof, just waiting for Elijah to get to the end of himself. No, he actually meets him right there in his need. He sends an angel to touch him, to give him. Look at the verses that follow. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So in our desperation, in our moments of difficulty, in our moments of trouble, we zero in on the threat, on the, on the difficulty. And we lose sight of God's sovereignty. He is sovereign. He's already seen everything from beginning to end. He is Alpha and Omega. He is going with you because he is for you. Now, we find this to be the truth because our Heavenly Father 
is not a God seeking out reasons to judge or condemn broken humanity. He is transcendent, meaning he is outside of time, therefore he sees it all and knows it all. But he is also imminent. He is very much involved in time. He is very intricately uh, here right now, knowing your very own life. And you see, the Bible emphasizes the omnipresence of God, meaning that he is everywhere at all times, meaning that he is with his people, and his spirit hovers over the whole earth. But it also emphasizes his manifest presence, not just that he's somewhere up there or somewhere here, but that he can actually break into our reality, show us his face, show us his glory. And you know, the whole Scripture narrative begins and ends with a God who is interested in covenanting with his people. Sin separates us from experiencing God, but God over and over again seeks out a relationship with his people by offering a way back to himself. Now, truth be told, sometimes when we talk about God showing up and manifesting himself, uh, you know, we sometimes are not very fully appreciative of the ways he might show up. Like we like the way he showed up to Elijah through the gentle whisper. But please keep the fire, the earthquake, and the mighty wind away from us. That may be some of our reactions. But we can't just say, oh, we want to see your glory, God. We want you here and then just tell him how to behave. I mean, he's God. He can move however he pleases. And he desires to meet with us in our moments where we most need him. For it is a God who desires to break into our human reality and take us out of this broken humanity. By restoring us, by healing us, by reconciling us unto himself. And so this is a God who is for us. Every time I think about God and the fire, I think of Moses. I think, you know, I'm glad Moses didn't come to the burning bush and say, oh, I'm running away from that. I'm not getting any closer. No, he said, well, look at that. I will go over there and see this strange sight. And ever since then, God decided that showing up in the fire to Moses wasn't that scary after all. In fact, we see him moving among the Israelites, the Israelites, my Spanish accent sometimes gets me, you know. <laughs> Moving among the Israelites at night through this pillar of fire. And then came the time when God said, Moses, gather all the people in this very same mount where, where God is showing up to Elijah through a gentle whisper. He says, gather up the people at Horeb and I'm going to show myself. And a blazing fire shoots up to the very heavens and God speaks out of the fire. Now, the early church also experienced the Spirit of God with tongues like fire and that descended upon them. And also through a violent wind which filled the whole house where they were sitting. God likes to show up in unpredictable ways. And let us not forget about Paul and Silas. When they, uh, yeah, when they were in jail, if it had not been for the earthquake, their chains would have never been broken. So it doesn't matter how God shows up. All that matters is that he shows up. Because we don't focus on how he desires to manifest himself. We focus on him who manifests himself. And we want him. Now, my son Lucas loves his grandma and papa. And we are so blessed that they, in recent months, have been able to come and visit us every weekend. And uh, every Monday night, I get the same question from Lucas. Mom, when, how many days until grandma and papa show up? 
How many days until they come back? You know, those papas and grandmas love to feed, you know, sugar uh, to these kids and for breakfast. Of course, we want him to sh them to show up more often at our house. But it's just this longing. He counts the days until papa and grandma come and show up at our house. How many of us have been longing in the same expectancy for God to show up in our midst, for God's glory to fill the sanctuary, for God's glory to fill our lives in such a powerful way that our chains will be broken, that our tongues will confess that he alone is God, that he is powerful, that he is mighty, and that he is the owner of absolutely everything in this universe, and that he's working on our behalf. He's working for us. <laughs> Now, how do we long for his presence more? How does a person who has it all, a good job, good income, abundant food on their table, a good family, a nice reputation in town, how does a person like that feel the need for more of God if they have it all? If they have been so satisfied, so perhaps filled with the things that this world has to offer that they have stopped longing for more of him. And I believe that this is the quest for the church in America. How do we long for the presence of God in our lives with such desperation that we desire to come and meet with the living king every single day? And I believe it is hunger. You must make space in your life to hunger after the things of God. Elijah is, is desperate here and he's determined to reach Horeb. But he's also exhausted and God knows that. He knows exactly what we need. Elijah needed rest. God provides him with a good night's sleep. Elijah needed physical strength. God provided him with baked bread, just like the ones from Cracker Barrel. So good and <laughs> yummy. You know, he provides everything exactly how we need. And he knows that ultimately he needs an encounter with God. So he calls him up to the mount and said, come, Elijah. I want to pass by and I want to show you my power. I want to show you my face. Now, Elijah goes up on the mountain, has an experience with God. But right after God passes by, we hear him say to Elijah, now, Elijah, go back the way you came. In other words, don't just stay up here soaking up my presence. Don't just stay up here with me. Now go back and fulfill your destiny. Go back and fulfill your calling. Go back because you have a mission to fulfill. And, uh, you know, being on the mountaintop experience, it's wonderful. Being with God and seeing his glory, it's absolutely wonderful. But we're not meant to stay up there. We're meant now to descend. Listen to, listen to what Oswald Chambers says. He says, we have all had times on the mount when we have seen things from God's standpoint and have wanted to stay there. But the test of our spiritual life is the power to descend. In other words... When we're on the mountaintop, it's easy to believe God can do anything. But we have to come out of the Mount of Transfiguration into the valley of death. Into the, sometimes the evil that surrounds us, the demon-possessed valley. And face the realities of life where our faith will be tested. When our strength runs dry and our vision is obscured, will we have the capacity to endure this trial to the end? Or will we turn back? in defeat because God is always with us we don't have to be afraid and because God is always for us 
we don't have to fret. God invites us to experience himself so that then we can practice his presence. The picture you see here is Rosita Ainsco, a missionary from Argentina, the very first missionary that went um, from Argentina to India with her husband. They were both in the medical field. She was a nurse. Uh, her husband was a um, a doctor, and they're, they're both pastors in Argentina to this day. But in 1970, they, they uh, took this, this call to go serve in a hospital, in the Nazarene Hospital in India. And there, Rosita was, uh, uh, one night she was working in the hospital late into the night, and a pregnant lady came, very frail, very weak, about to give birth, obviously, but she didn't have the strength to do it healthily. And so Rosita knew that she needed a blood transfusion, but they didn't have any blood bank in the hospital at that time. So finding out that she was the same blood type as Rosita, Rosita said, okay, I will draw my own blood out right now, and I will do this transfusion to her. And that's exactly what she did. He gave her her blood so that she would be able to deliver the baby, then help deliver the baby, then took care of the baby, went to the kitchen to prepare food for this woman, brought her a plate full of food, and then rejoiced and praised God for a healthy baby boy. And then began to tell this lady about the love of God. Now, my friends, this is what it means to practice the presence of God. Because we only love God as much as we love our neighbor. Which includes the stranger, the lonely, the sick, the poor, even our enemies. But when the love of God is shed upon our hearts... That love compels us to lay down our lives for the sake of him who shed his blood for each one of us. How hungry are you for the living God? How desperate are you for his love to transform your heart so deeply that then it flows out of you to reach out those around you? There's a, a, a quote here which I'm finishing with. From Ben Peterson, he says, we have become satisfied with mere church, mere religious exertion, mere numbers in buildings, the things we can do. And there's nothing wrong with these things, but they're no more than foam by the surf of the ocean of God's glory and goodness. And I don't know about you, but I am desperate for his presence. I desire to meet with him every single day. I desire him to break into our reality, begin a, a, a revival in our midst, wake us up so that we may be strengthened, we may be enabled from our inside out to reach a desperate world that is dying out there and we have the hope of salvation that is our duty to share with them. But some of us are exhausted just like Elijah and God will meet you right there where you are before he can take you up on the mountaintop. But he won't leave you there. He will provide enough strength to invite you to meet him, to invite you to soak up his presence so that then you can be fully equipped to fulfill the destiny, the divine purpose that God has prepared for each one of us. I believe with all my heart that God's speech will be, that Andrew's speech will be restored. I believe with all my heart that God will show up and will say, all right, I have heard the prayers of the people, and I am here to show up my power. And we're going to wait until that happens, because I believe that will be the catalyst for all the other healings in this place. And I'm going to keep waiting and believing, 
and a God who is mighty to save, and a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and a God who is with his people, and a God who is for his people, and a God who sees it all, knows it all, and is with us until the end of the earth. Yes. This is the living God we serve. Yes, and so to, right now, I, we just want to pray for his manifest presence in this place. Whether it's today, whether it's next week, whether it's in a month, however long it takes, God to show up in a big, big way to heal people, to deliver people, to save people, to convict us. We just need him. We need him. We are desperate for him. So if that is the cry of your heart, I'm going to invite Don to come up and he's going to play. If that is the, heart of your, uh, uh, the cry of your heart. And the Lord is breaking at your heart. Come and join us at the altar. We're going to pray and finish this time by praying to God the Almighty to come and show up in a big and mighty way among his people. In Jesus' name.